This is Sarah Armstrong, Stories in My Head, episode number two of Harvest of Love. We've got two people who are in an impossible situation. The only way they can save this land that both of them care so much about is to marry each other. And though they are not in love, and one of them really doesn't want to live on the land, but to go back to her job in the city, she can't just abandon this land that's been a part of her family all this time. So what are Brad and Dory going to do? Well, let's find out. Episode 2 of Harvest of Love. Brad's marriage made Dory's break with her father that much easier. She was still haunted by the hurt and anger in her father's eyes when, eight years ago at age 23, fresh out of college and a week after Brad's nuptials, she announced she was leaving to work in Denver. Dory tried for years to explain to her father that she wasn't cut out for life on a wheat farm. She craved the excitement of the city, the challenges of a career, the competition of the corporate world. No regrets. She had her career, and they would figure this out, and Brad would have the farm. Getting the farm meant everything to Brad. Wendell Miller had indeed given him a chance when no one else would. A wild, rebellious kid from a chaotic home, Brad was sent to work at the Miller's farm as part of a juvenile rehabilitation project. Wendell taught him that being a man was about honor and responsibility and contributing to the world. Brad stayed on, became the foreman, and grew to love the land as much as Wendell did. Brad remembered how Dory's decision to leave had hurt Wendell. Why did she do it? Didn't she know how lucky she was? His lips curled in a sneer when he thought about Miss Dory Miller. She was a spoiled city slicker with no appreciation for what really mattered. 
While she chased the high life in Denver, Brad worked 18 hours a day to make the farm prosper. They had to figure this out so the farm would be his and little Miss High and Mighty could go back to her precious job. Dory had rushed to her father's bedside when he was felt by a stroke. They'd made their peace years before over Dory's affinity for city life, but the few days she spent with him before he died peacefully in his sleep were precious. Wendell Miller understood one thing, the land. This great farm had been passed down through the generations since just after the abolition of slavery. When his wife died giving birth to Dory, he resolved that his daughter would carry on growing and harvesting the waving amber wheat fields as her ancestors had. Dory loved the farm. She understood its historical significance, but she needed more. A life filled with tractors and seeds and silos and weather report just weren't her style. Brad never understood her attitude. He saw it as betrayal of her father and family heritage. But no point in getting angry now. However, he did have to admit that that skinny kid he used to tease had grown into a very attractive woman. Very attractive. The top of her head barely reached his chin, but she was strong and solid with smooth, well-shaped legs. Dory carried herself with confidence. Brad set his jaw in determination. He wanted to make the farm the best in the county and provide a good home for his daughter, Samantha, just like Wendell had done for his daughter. Brad only hoped that Samantha would show more gratitude and appreciation than Dory. The long ride home after the scene in the lawyer's office was as tense as newly strung barbed wire. Dory huddled in the far corner of the car, staring out at the passing countryside. She hadn't uttered a word for the past half hour. Brad insisted on driving. We have to talk about this sometime, Brad blurted out. I may never talk to you again, Bradley Taylor, after what you said to me, Dory replied. Blaming me for what my father put in his will, this was not my choice. How was I to know what he was planning? Well, maybe I overreacted a little, Brad replied sheepishly. Look, Brad, I know how important the farm is to you, and you know I care about Samantha, but I must think about my future too, Dory implored. You've been through so much, losing your wife and all. I wouldn't do anything to cause you any more pain. Samantha and the farm are the only things that kept me going since Cynthia died two years ago. I never knew a little girl could help fill such a big empty space. Brad spoke softly as if talking to himself. Brad... I never express my condolences in person. Cynthia was a lovely girl and you were a perfect couple. I'm so sorry, Dory replied. Brad continues it as if he had not heard her. She'd ridden that horse hundreds of times. 
but that day she wasn't paying attention or something. Don't blame yourself. It was an accident, Dory added, intending to give comfort. I was out of the country and couldn't get back in time for the funeral. With a voice dripping with sarcasm, Brad replied, Oh, I know the great journalist couldn't come back for something as unimportant as the funeral of a friend. Why, you might miss a cocktail party or a movie premiere or a hair appointment or something. Save your pity, Dory, Brad shot back. Samantha and I will be just fine. You just worry about your precious career in Denver. Dory threw up her hands in frustration and said, You are a stubborn, impossible man. Brad cursed under his breath. This was no time to antagonize Dory. If she decided to put her half of the farm up for sale, it was all over. He had to hold his temper and find a way to appease her until they could figure something out. Um, I, I never knew your name was Dorman, Brad said, trying to change the subject. What kind of name is that? It's my father's way of reminding me of my heritage, Dory said with a smile. Isaiah Dorman was a black man sent to North Dakota by the U.S. government to act as guide and scout for General Custer. He was killed at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. My dad taught me that most people, black and white, acquired land in North Dakota, not in communities or colonies, but as individual farmsteads. From 1880 to 1920, black men and women either homesteaded or purchased outright well over a hundred North Dakota farms. At least 96 black men and women filed their homesteads in every corner of the state. As late as 1910, the state census acknowledged African Americans in 41 of North Dakota's 49 counties, she continued. Even though most of them left, my father was proud that our family stayed and passed the land on from generation to generation. I shortened my name to Dory when I was nine because I kept getting put in the boys' gym class. No one would mistake her for a boy now, Brad thought. Even in that bulky winter coat, Dory's curves were apparent. Her shapely bronze legs peeped out of her boots and widened into full, firm thighs under her skirt. Her face glowed when she smiled, and her eyes were warm and deep. Brad snapped his attention back to the road. What was he doing anyway? Brad had resolved never to love again. It was just too painful. Losing Cynthia broke his heart, and he wouldn't risk it again. Dory smiled and began to chuckle. <laughs> you know I had a crush on you when I was 12. You were five years older and treated me like a little sister. I was devastated when you announced your engagement to Cynthia. But when I saw how much you loved each other and how devoted you were to Dad and the farm, it gave me the courage to leave and follow my dreams. What exactly do you do in Denver? Bat queried. 
both to maintain the more pleasant atmosphere and to satisfy his own curiosity. Dory eyed him suspiciously and queried, Why do you want to know? Brad shrugged and replied, Just curious, I guess. I am the assistant editor of the Lady West magazine. It specializes in articles on matters of interest to women who live in the Western Plains states. Brad frowned slightly and said, Aren't they interested in the same things women in other parts of the country are? Of course, Dory replied, warming to the subject, but there are some things that are unique to this area. I try to reach out to women who are overlooked by other publications, like Native American women or women who live on ranches and farms. They have special needs and interests. And writing for this magazine was important enough for you to abandon your birthright, Vlad replied. I didn't abandon anything, Dory fired back. My mother died when I was born. I was all my dad had, and he did a wonderful job raising me. It's just that I wanted more than planting seed and spraying bugs the rest of my life. I knew that dad wouldn't be alone and you could take care of the farm and the tradition would continue. Why is it so difficult for you to... <clears throat> Dory's voice dissolved into an exasperated sputter. She pulled her coat up around her face, folded her arms, and turned her back to Brad. Dory almost leapt from the car before it came to a full stop in the driveway of the house where she grew up. She slammed the door, anxious to get away from Brad Taylor and to get away as far away as possible. The tire spun in the gravel as Brad roared around to the back of the house toward the garage. Unfeeling, narrow-minded, unreasonable blockhead, Dory muttered to herself as she stormed in the front door. The automatic garage door glided, closed smoothly as Brad wrenched open the door connecting the garage to the kitchen in the main house. Damn fool woman, get herself hurt jumping out of moving cars, he fumed. Daddy, Daddy! Samantha's happy squeal and outstretched arms replaced Brad's frown with a lopsided grin of pure joy. Brad scooped up the chubby brown body and spun her around over his head. Now you put that child down, Brad, or I'll run you out of my kitchen, protested Rosa, the housekeeper. I just spent the better part of an hour calming her down. I don't need you spinning her around and getting her all stirred up again, she continued. Rosa de la Salle was a fixture at the farm. She had helped raise Dory and now was helping Brad with Samantha. No one was sure about Rosa's family. She just said her father had moved to North Dakota from Texas looking for work. She never knew her mother or anything about her relatives. She was widowed with two daughters and a son who all lived in Colorado. 
Dory watched from the shadow of the hallway. Brad became a different person when he was with his daughter. It was difficult to believe that this man making faces and tickling the curly-headed child was the same unreasonable oaf she just rode home with. Shedding her coat, she walked wearily up the stairs. As Samantha played with her new doll that her father brought her for a surprise, Brad turned to Rosa. Did you know about the will? Yes, Wendell told me. I guess it was just the last effort to make Dory come home. It's beyond my understanding why anyone would leave a great home and family to chase a pipe dream. She didn't see the toll her decision took on Wendell. Many times I would find him standing on the front porch staring out at the horizon as though waiting for his only child to come home. Dory was only thinking of herself. Rosa clasped Brad's hands and said, Wendell did miss her, but he only wanted Dory to stay if she wanted to, not out of a sense of obligation. She had to follow her own path. Well, we're in a fix now. She hates being here. She hates me. And the only way I can save my future is convince her not only to stay, but to marry me. What a mess. Now we have some additional information about Brad and we find out he is indeed a widower. He was married to Cynthia and Cynthia evidently died in a riding accident leaving him to raise his daughter Samantha alone. So it's even more important that he hold on to this land and this farm to take care of his family. And he's worked for it all his life. So they're kind of right back in the same dilemma. What are they going to do?
We've also been introduced to Rosa, the housekeeper, who seems to have been a very good friend and companion to Dory's father and who really understands the whole dynamic of Dory and Brad and her father and all of it. So what will they decide? Come back next week for episode three of Harvest of Love. Thanks for your support. See you then. Bye.